about your word and focus on it together, that your Holy Spirit will enlighten us to understand and will equip us to act on what we learn from you, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Nice to see you. I feel I'm wearing very boring shoes. <laughs> and uh, let's say hello to, to uh, everyone in the creche as well. I, was, I just popped in there to get my Bible, and uh, where the, the creche is in the vestry, as you may know. And they've got real coffee and homemade biscuits in there. I, ne- I nearly didn't come out again. But, uh, so hello to everyone in the creche. So um, today is the second Sunday of Advent, and uh, we're beginning a series of four morning services the last of which will be on Christmas morning, in which we'll be looking uh, mostly at the first chapter of John's Gospel and considering different aspects of the miracle of Christmas. Uh, And so this morning we're starting by looking together at the first few verses of John chapter 1. And John's Gospel has been described as all sorts of things. Somebody has said it's the most amazing book that was ever written. Uh, I think it's probably my favourite book of the Bible, actually. It, it has, is so poetic, it has such a tremendous richness and depth, and there's just so much fantastic truth in it. I mean, we could easily do a four-week series just on the first couple of verses, I think. But John starts off by telling us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And later on in the chapter, in verse 14, he explains to us what that phrase, the Word, refers to. He says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the Word that John is referring to is Jesus. And in these opening verses of his Gospel, he makes three dramatic claims about who Jesus is. Firstly, he says that Jesus is God and that he has always existed. So as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus, which happened about 2,000 years ago, John's claim is that the Almighty God himself came to this earth, and he came in the person of Jesus. And he claims that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, which had been made hundreds of years beforehand, and which we often hear read at this time of year. Isaiah wrote, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Isaiah had predicted the birth of a child who would be God himself. And John tells us that Jesus is that child. Secondly, he says that everything that exists was made through him. Nothing that exists came into being without his involvement. And thirdly, he says that Jesus is the source of life and the light of all people. And uh, those are three amazing claims, aren't they? Very dramatic statements about Jesus. So let's just briefly look at each one in turn. Firstly, he says that Jesus is God and that he has always existed. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John says that as God, Jesus has always existed, and he was there with God at the beginning of everything. 
But a question immediately confronts us, doesn't it? John says that Jesus was God, but also he was with God. Now, if I say that I saw you with somebody, that means there were two of you. There was you and the other person. If Jesus was with God, it suggests that he's distinct and separate from God. How can Jesus be God and be with God at the same time? Well, I'd suggest that that's only a problem, really, if we insist on thinking of God purely in human terms or purely in a physical rather than a spiritual way. As human beings, we cannot be ourselves and be with ourselves at the same time. We are physically limited to being in one place at once. But a few chapters further on in his Gospel, John tells us that God is spirit. And at the heart of God's nature is this great mystery that there is only one God, but that he exists as three persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. As a human being, I cannot be Murray Hepburn and also be with Murray Hepburn. It's not humanly possible, but it is possible for God. And it's so important that we don't regard God as a, just a kind of superhuman being, someone who is like us, but bigger, wiser, and more powerful, because that's a wholly inadequate view of God. God, God is in another league altogether. To fully understand his nature is just far, far beyond our capacity. He operates to a completely different set of rules, and he's not subject to limitations that we are. So if we want to understand what God is like, it's no good sitting down and trying to work it out. We can only accurately know anything at all about God by learning what he has revealed to us. So we come to his revelation, the Bible, and we base our understanding on that and not our, on our own limited intellectual capacity. So through the Apostle John, God tells us that the man Jesus, born in Bethlehem 2,000 or so years ago, has been with God and has been God from the very beginning. And that truth is absolutely central to the Christian faith. And so it's no surprise that throughout history it has been challenged. Many uh, people have found this idea completely inconceivable that God could become a human being. Some would say it's even blasphemous because somehow it limits God. By becoming human, he becomes less than God. I think to many Muslims, for instance, the idea that God could become a human being is unthinkable. And the idea that he could die is, is completely beyond imagination. So over the centuries, it's often been suggested that Jesus was either not fully human or not fully God, that he can't be both. And there are plenty others of others who insist that, uh, well, Jesus never actually claimed to be God anyway, and the whole idea has been kind of imposed on him. But as we read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, I think we're forced to the opposite conclusion. Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sins, something which only God can do. And the people of his time understood that very well. When Jesus pronounced sins forgiven, they knew exactly what he was implying. Later on in John's Gospel, we read, uh, Jesus said, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. 
For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but because he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And then in chapter 8, again of John's Gospel, he's having an argument with the Jews. And they say, you're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him. Jesus claimed to have existed before Abraham, who'd lived about 1,700 years previously, and he used the name I am attributed to himself. That was the name of God. And that was why the Jews tried to kill him. They knew, they understood perfectly well that he was claiming to be God. And to the people of Jesus' time, his claims were very clear. And the consequences were fairly predictable. When someone claims to be God, they're generally regarded either as mad or as blasphemous. And that is exactly what happened to Jesus and ultimately led to his execution on the cross. I remember hearing a Christian speaker once recounting a conversation that he was having with somebody about Jesus, and this man said to him incredulously, incredulously, he says, are you really trying to tell me that this Jesus is God? And he said, yes, that's exactly what I am saying. You're beginning to get the idea. So John claims quite unequivocally that Jesus is God. But then he goes on to expand that idea in the following verses. In verse 3 he says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus, uh, sorry, John claims that Jesus is God the creator. And that is reiterated elsewhere in the New Testament. In Paul's letter to the Colossians we read, He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And that last phrase, in him all things hold together, tells us that as part of the Godhead, Jesus not only created everything that exists, but he also sustains it second by second. The writers of the Hebrews said, the Son, that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. This is a time of year, isn't it, when we tend to look back on the year and uh, review what's happened. And uh, uh, I think probably 2012 will go down in history as the year in which the Higgs boson was finally proved to exist. Now, I don't claim to fully understand this theory, but uh, as I understand it, atomic theory had led physicists for years to believe that this mysterious particle existed. And this particle somehow provides mass to everything else. It gives substance to all the other particles, and without it, nothing would have any substance, any mass, and it's crucial to the existence of all matter. Some have described it as the God particle. 
It does seem a bit of a shame to me, actually, that they call it the Higgs boson, because I don't think many of us know what a boson actually is. Um, I, I think they should have called it the Catholic priest particle, because it provides mass to all the others. Thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. But the Daily Telegraph of the 4th of July this year said, scientists believe they've captured the elusive God particle that gives matter mass and holds the fabric of the universe together. Well, the Bible tells us that behind that physical mechanism is the power of Jesus. It is Jesus who created and who sustains everything that exists. And the great miracle of Christmas is that the almighty God, the creator and sustainer of everything, was born as a human baby. And then finally, John tells us in verse 4 that Jesus is the source of all life. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That is the light of all people. He talks about Jesus as being life and light. And what that means, I think, is that Jesus is the source of life, both in a physical and in a spiritual sense. We know that in terms of our physical existence, all life on earth is dependent on the sun. Without the sun, we would be unable to grow food. The sun is the source of life. And I think that's the picture that John is giving us here, that... Uh, as we've seen, Jesus created and sustains all life on earth. He is the light of the world in the same way that the sun is the physical light of the world. And that means without Jesus, we cannot even survive physically. We all depend, with no exception, on Jesus for our day-to-day -day survival. If he were to cease his work of sustaining the universe just for a moment, then all life on earth would stop. But we also know that aside from the basic issue of survival, it is actually quite difficult to live in the dark. Uh, living where we do here in Bristol, uh, I don't know whether you find this, but certainly I can't remember the last time I was in complete darkness. When it gets dark, the streetlights come on. We have electricity, which uh, we very seldom have interruptions to. And I, I am just never in complete darkness. But then just occasionally you go perhaps on holiday and you're staying out in the countryside miles from anywhere and you perhaps just step outside one night and suddenly you're confronted by total darkness. If there's no moon and no other houses around, no lights, and suddenly you realize what it's like to be in complete darkness. And it comes as a bit of a shock. Life in total darkness is really very difficult. Uh, if we do ever have a power cut the first thing we do is always to reach for the torch or try and find the candles because walking around in the dark is a bit dangerous, isn't it? You never know what you're going to bump into or what you're going to fall over. And whenever the human race wants to do anything at all at night other than sleep, the first thing we do is to make sure that we have some light so that we can see what we're doing. Living in darkness is probably possible, but it's hardly a great way to live not knowing exactly where we are, not being entirely sure where we're going, you know, groping around in the dark trying to find our bearings, 
struggling to find things that we know are there, but we can't see them. But that is the picture that the Bible paints for us of life without Jesus. Our world is in darkness, and it needs the light. And at Christmas, we celebrate the fact that that light is the baby who was born in the manger 2,000 or so years ago. So light and life refers not to just to the physical life, but also to the spiritual. We all want more from life, don't we, than mere physical survival. And most of us realize that there is more to life than just the physical and just the material world around us. Jesus said that he came so that we might have life and have it to the full. And living life to the full is really a description of what most of us would love to do. Jesus is the source of our spiritual life. His life and work started at the first Christmas have made it possible for us to come into a relationship with God. Without the light and life of Jesus, something fundamental and essential is missing from our lives, and there is no substitute for it. There are obviously many things in life, aren't there, apart from Jesus, which can bring us a degree of happiness, pleasure and fulfillment, but they are all transitory and unreliable. And if we base our happiness on anything in this world, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment and disillusionment. It's great to have good relationships, but they can end. They can break down or be ended by the death of one of the partners. Promising and fulfilling careers can go off the rails. Businesses can fail. Seemingly secure jobs can disappear as a result of austerity. Health can fail. Accidents, illness, and old age can prevent us from doing things that we love to do. And in this world of uncertainty, the only unchanging and utterly reliable basis for our security is Jesus. So Jesus is the source of life and light. So as we approach Christmas and we remember Jesus, the light of the world, coming into the world, the question to each of us really is, are we going to live in the light or in the darkness? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This morning would be a good time if you've never decided for the first time to follow Jesus, to make that decision. Or if you have made that decision, to reaffirm it. All over the country at this time of year, various celebrities are turning on the Christmas lights. And by following Jesus this Christmas, we can allow him to turn on the light in our lives. Amen.